Hey everyone, welcome back to Turn Up the Valium. Thanks for joining in on our third episode. We're here with Christine Lee. And it's Jessica Zone And Brittany Starling. Christine, thanks so much for coming on with us. Thank you so much for having me, y'all. So I think we'll start at the very beginning. Where are you from? I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, in case you couldn't tell by my little twang. <laughs> and I moved up here to New Jersey to work for my fellowship. Okay, so you've been here like a year and a half. Yeah, a year and a half. So I'm a second year fellow out of two. Awesome. What do you like better, New Jersey or Tennessee? I gotta say, life in the South is great. It's slow, it's cheap, and it's warm. <laughs> the closer it gets to winter, the more I appreciate life in the South. Oh, I um, bet. But I really, I really don't mind Jersey at all now that I've moved here. It's very suburban. What made you want to go to pharmacy school? Honestly, I didn't know what I wanted to do after college. Uh, I took two years off and I moved to the city. And I just kind of had random jobs there. And then one of my jobs that I had when I worked in the city was at CVS. The city is New York, New York City. city. Yes. Okay. Wow. Not the Bay Area, the city city. Then I thought maybe you meant Nashville, so just wanted to clarify. <laughs> yeah, usually we Nashville, Nashville, we call it Nash Vegas. Oh, okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then when I was at CVS, that's kind of when I was introduced to the whole pharmacy thing. And then I explored the opportunity to do so. And then I applied. And then I decided to go at UT. I went to University of Tennessee for pharmacy school. And where did you go for undergrad? I went to undergrad in Boston. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. And so you just, on a whim, were like, I should move to New York City. Yeah, actually, um, at the time, I was dating a guy, so... Wait, you I, went to Harvard for undergrad? Yeah, yeah, I Okay. Did. Wow, <laughs> smarty pants in the house. Oh, I didn't know this. <laughs> I thought you were wearing yeah. that jacket just to be like, I visited Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, usually I try, I try to drop the H-bomb subtly. <laughs> Have you seen that TV show Friends from College? No, but I want to. Have it's on you? Netflix, right? Yeah, yeah. Is it I good? watched it. I liked it. Uh, the people, the reviews were pretty bad. I thought it was funny, but I just want to know how accurate it is regarding oh, yeah. Harvard alumni. I guess I'll watch it and get back to you. <laughs> now I'm curious and I have to watch it too. Yeah. So when you were in pharmacy school, did you know that you wanted to do a fellowship or what made you decide to want to do it? Yeah, so no, absolutely not is the answer. <laughs> UT is very clinical slash residency focused. So during school, they push you a lot to do kind of hospital-based rotations, and they push you a lot to do residency. So I was very residency-bound. I worked at Walgreens during school. I liked it. You know, retail is always going to be there. So I thought, oh, I'll do residency. If I can't get residency, I'll work retail. So when I created my rotation schedule, it was like all the hardest rotations. And then kind of halfway through, when I was doing rotations, I heard of this thing called managed care. And I looked more into it and I was like, oh my gosh, managed care sounds cool. Can I get switched into a managed care organization? And in the South, we have a lot of managed cares. So they switched me into one. Then I was like, oh my God, I'm managed care bound. Definitely going to do this. And then, so then I was focused on applying for managed care residencies. Partially through, um, one of my best friends who's who's a lawyer, she knows nothing about pharmacy. We were talking about career opportunities after pharmacy school. I told her, hey, I I was doing this managed care thing. And she was like, oh, is that the same thing as industry? I have a friend who works in industry. You should talk to him. And I was like, oh, it's not. But, you know, I don't mind talking to him. Started talking to him. He introduced me to fellowships. And so then we started talking many nights throughout the fall semester about what industry is and what a fellowship was. He encouraged me to go to FIND. FIND really was kind of where I finally understood what the whole scene was about. And then from there on, I decided to apply and then I got one. Wow, so you decided in November before mid-year. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was kind of looking into it September, October-ish, but I didn't really understand what industry was or what a fellowship was until really I got to find. They kind of told me. What do you think made you a strong candidate for a fellowship? God, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> As my boss, <laughs> I don't know. The advice I give to candidates, because I talk to a lot of candidates these days, the advice I give them is to be passionate 
about what you know and what you want to do. You know, as a candidate, the only person that knows you better than yourself is your mom, and your mom's not there to interview for you. So you have to sell yourself the best when you're at mid-year. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) So I always tell them, sell yourself, know yourself well, be able to speak to your strengths and your weaknesses, of course, but be passionate about the career that you want to go into. If you want to go into clinical, be passionate about it. Know what you're going to do if you're in that role. Know what all clinical is. You know, even if you don't get that, like, clinical oncology, know what clinical means in general. So, yeah, that's my advice to Canada. So how did you prepare for mid-year? I talked to my friend a lot, the one that told me about industry. And then his advice was just to read through all the brochures and everything online that I could find about industry and about clinic. So for me, I wanted to go into clinical, so everything about clinical. And that's the advice I give to candidates, too, is just do your research. Like, make sure you do your research and you know what you're reading into and you know what you're talking about. And did you want to do just Rutgers or did you kind of look into the other programs, too? Yeah, so I I actually applied to three non-Rutgers programs along with Rutgers programs. So I remember when I was scheduling second rounds with Rutgers, I had to balance like, oh no, I can't do that time. Yeah, you um, feel so guilty. Yeah, but... you feel super guilty. <laughs> yeah. And then now as chief of Rutgers, I of course do not recommend anyone applying to anywhere else but Rutgers. <laughs> I didn't feel that guilty. I was like, sorry, I'm very desirable. <laughs> That's a good way to spin it. it but yeah, I definitely, I looked into the other non-Rutgers programs as far as why I chose Rutgers, because that's a question I get a lot from candidates. Honestly, it's about what you want as a candidate or, you know, what are you looking for when you become a fellow? If you don't want to do any, what I call like extracurriculars, you don't have to, but Rutgers gives you the opportunity to do all of those things. And I think even if you going into it decide you don't want to do it, you never know if you might change your mind once you're in the fellowship. You never know, oh, you know, teaching sounds kind of cool. I kind of want to do that. Or, hey, that's like a cool research project. I want to do a poster on it. So it always only benefits you if you go to a program that has multiple opportunities for you than if you go to another program that might not have those open doors for you. Yeah, I think that's a really good point for candidates to consider because I know the different programs, like the degree of academic involvement really vary. So Mm -hmm. like I know with MCPHS, I think they only meet once a quarter. And with UNC, you actually spend your whole first year at UNC doing research in a professor's lab. Yeah. And then you spend your second year at the partner company. Right. So there's definitely a spectrum of of options out there. After preparing for mid-year and you're at mid-year, what would you say was your best memory and your worst memory? My best, oh man. One of my best memories actually was standing in line because I remember, so the advice someone gave me was they got in line at 6.30 and they were number 50. And so they were like, oh, don't worry. Like you don't have to come in before 6.30. It'll be fine. Being the overachiever that I was, I got there at six and then I was number like 88 in line. So I was like, oh my gosh, like there's so many people here. When I got in line, there were two boys standing next to me that were kind of like quizzing each other back and forth. And that made me kind of nervous because I was like, I'm the only person there. I didn't know anyone else. No one from my school was doing it. You know, I was just all alone. And looking back now, one of the guys that was quizzing each other was David, my co-chief. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's probably one of my best memories from mid-year because I met him very early and he was my very first, I call like my industry friend. Worst memory, juggling the reception and wearing heels. The whole weekend. <laughs> and you you would have been interviewing at New Orleans, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I interviewed in New Orleans. Um, I was in Memphis at the time, so it was a short drive from Memphis. I think it's like a five-hour drive. So I literally brought 
my whole wardrobe when candidates ask me like oh what do I bring like what did you bring I'm like okay you can't take my <laughs> advice because I had a car I'm sure the companies were like who brought that RV to mid-year like <laughs> let's back up you are in clinical development at Pfizer I don't think we said that yet how did you select your functional area I knew I want to do clinical when I applied at mid-year I only applied to the clinical fellowship positions in terms of like clinical science and clinical ops, like, you know, I kind of applied to all of them. At the end, part of the reason why I chose Pfizer, and this was the advice that I was given, look at your preceptor. Like, how is your preceptor going to treat you? Is he going to treat you like a full-time employee? Is he going to treat you like a fellow and only give you fellowship, like, duties? Or is he going to really give you a lot more responsibility and let you grow and let you learn? That was one of the advice that I got. Another one, Pfizer did a good job selling me. So I'm doing clinical research at Pfizer Consumer. And Pfizer Consumer did a great job selling that the clinical trials are clinical trials, no matter where you are. If you're in oncology, it's a clinical trial. If you're in consumer, it's a clinical trial. The only difference is consumer studies go a lot quicker because obviously we don't have to wait to enroll like cancer patients. Or we don't have to wait to enroll patients with that sort of specific disease state that's hard to find around the world. So you get the same experience as another clinical fellow in oncology, but you will be able to see kind of all spectrums of it within your two years because everything moves by really quickly. So you could do the begin, like startup of a study and close out of a study during your time and your fellowship. And so that was something that they sold me on because a fellowship program is a training program. Really, you're there to be trained. So then when you get out, you have the best experience possible. Yeah, that's, I think, a good point to keep in mind because I'm also finishing up my second year and it just so happens I'm doing a rotation now, but both projects that I'm on, they're in start, they're startup. So unfortunately, my experience is going to be really geared towards startup. Mm -hmm. One thing that I wonder about consumer is how does like how does Pfizer know from the outset that the product is going to be over the counter? Yeah, so a lot of it is they are adding on kind of like new indications to already existing OTC okay. drugs. A lot of it also is our Rx to OTC switch programs. Those obviously go through, I guess, rigorous planning and strategic involvement from the commercial and the medical and the clinical teams to make sure that what do we think the FDA will say if we submit this with this strength? You know, they it might not be the same strength as the Rx, and they'll have to like take it down a notch, or obviously they'll have to take down a notch of the indications. Mm -hmm. But they go through a lot of rigorous planning to like say, okay, what should we do for this developmental program for this Rx to OTC switch in order to ensure that it's a good it's a success for the OTC realm. And how big are those trials typically? How many patients? It depends. Let's see. There's multiple <laughs> studies in the ARCs to OTC switches. One of the studies could have like 300, and then it just depends on what all they're looking for, for what indication they're doing for which, which trial. And how quickly do they go? I mean, is it like one year you can see start to finish, or would you say it has to be around like two years? Yeah, around the two, like around the two year for mm -hmm. the, the switches generally yeah for example like chapstick chapstick is a little different um like i'm doing a chapstick study and that literally is going to take study startups that started like july we'll have final results by january i yeah. did not realize that chapstick had to be approved by the fda yeah. yeah yeah chapstick technically has things in it that um you have to <laughs> you have to go through the fda for does pfizer currently have a chapstick on the market chapstick the brand is oh the brand chapstick oh yeah okay. chapstick the original i'll just throw out the burt's bees that's in my wallet on my way out <laughs> don't worry i'll get you guys some chapstick Sold. Perfect. That's why we brought you on the show. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's a good investment. Yeah. 
So what would you say, I guess, and we can all talk about this, the differences are between consumer and non-consumer clinical development. I'm doing, it's funny, I'm doing a rotation right now in Pfizer Oncology. It's more medical strategy than it is clinical, but I do see kind of like what clinical does since it's we're strategically trying to look at the program as a whole. But in terms of the differences and tasks and I think responsibilities, there's not a difference because okay. I talked to some of my other like clinical fellows and I think we do almost pretty much the same thing. Obviously it depends by company by company, right? Like some of my clinical fellows, they do a lot more kind of like data cleanup. We don't, we as clinicians at Pfizer and Consumer don't really do data cleanup. We have a team that kind of does it. Of course we look at it, but we're not the ones that are solely responsible okay. for it. That makes sense. You know, we do your typical things like protocol writing, like site training, we train the medical monitors, those sorts of things, what a clinician does. I think obviously for like Pfizer oncology type of studies, the MD might be the overall protocol writer, mm -hmm. um, more so than like a PharmD or a fellow. So that might be a big difference. But in consumer, at least they give a lot more responsibility because the studies are a lot more fast paced and not as, I guess, high risk. Makes sense. So I know you mentioned RPIF and you have kind of a special role in the program. Do you want to talk about what it means to be chief fellow and, and how you got the position? <laughs> yeah, sure. I actually, so I love being chief. It's a lot of work. It's funny because candidates ask a lot of times, you know, being in industry, do you have a good work-life balance? And the answer is yes, of course. Like, industry loves work-life balance. Like, we at Pfizer Consumer, we really value work-life balance. I personally choose to have a work-work balance. Um, <laughs> I don't have a work-life balance, but I love what I do. I tell everyone Rutgers is my boyfriend, but a lot of time with Rutgers. In terms of kind of like what I do, I'm just kind of basically responsible for just ensuring that the program is moving okay. Whatever changes that we as like me and David as co-chief want to see or us as the committees want to see we try to make sure that it you know we put those in effect we try to talk to the right people to make sure it's going those sorts of things it's a lot of work but it's really fun I enjoy I enjoy it I guess how I got into it I honestly was on the fence about applying for it but I really like making things work and like making things better not that Rutgers you know before last year was not great but I thought there was all there's always room for improvement right and so I wanted to be able to try to put my touches on Rutgers if I could within the next year so were you a committee chair before applying for chief fellow? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I was part of the newsletter committee. <laughs> okay. Um, so I was, me and Joe Fulgeniti, we did the newsletter every quarter. Cool. It was okay. really fun. And what committee was David on? David was PDD uh, co-chair. Okay. Yeah. So him and Zach and Kate were part of the PDD committee, and they ensured to make sure PDD ran smoothly and try to bring in new speakers for PDD and those sorts of so to become a chief fellow, do you have to have had a previous committee position or can you just apply to it in your second year? Yeah, so you can apply. I think they obviously want to see the committee co-chairs or want to see you with committee experience, but you don't have to be on a committee to apply. Okay. Yeah. And also the chief fellows are like the superstars, I think, of the Rutgers <laughs> Fellowship Program, by the way, for our listeners. <laughs> yeah, definitely VIP. They talk at every PDD, introduce everything. <laughs> Switching gears now, kind of talking about your role at Pfizer. What was the onboarding process like at Pfizer when you first started? Yeah. Oh my gosh. One of my, big, <laughs> one of my biggest gripes, I think it's because Pfizer is such a large company. It was the training, pro the training process and then how we get things done. So we just have a thousand SOPs that we have to get through and I'm sure it's very similar with a lot of the other companies but I felt like we were in training for like two to three months we would always there was always new SOPs that were coming and they wouldn't just give it all 
like at once. We would have to do a set and then wait for another set to come in. And then after it came in, yes. then we sit there and do when some more. When you have more. a couple more to cross off and then they give you like 20 more to do. Yeah, exactly. That process took a long time. Like, for example, I didn't have my first, like my own study until January of my first year. I did do little things here and there for my boss. Um, like I would help him write a CSR. I would help him look at the data and those sorts of things. But I didn't have my own own study until January. And that's just because training took so long to get you onboarded and those sorts of things. And CSR is clinical study report? Sorry, yes, okay. clinical study report, yeah. So that's kind of, for those listeners out there that aren't in clinical, it's at the end of the trial. It's kind of like a summary report that you write for what happened during the trial. Okay, so you started that in January, and I guess that's like a interesting time point because a lot of people say it's after mid-year, after the first six to seven months, all of a sudden it's like, boom, you, you get it. Like after all this training, you suddenly feel like, okay, I know what I'm doing now. Which, I mean, I can speak for myself. I It was around that time where I felt that like aha moment. <laughs> funny. Can you take us through a typical work day at Pfizer? And I guess you don't have to be so general because I know it can change yeah. drastically from day to day. But if you can tell us like last Thursday, you know, what, what did you do? Sure. So my job's a little different now because I, I tell people I basically kind of have four jobs now. So I do clinical for Pfizer consumer. I do rotation for Pfizer oncology, and then I'm co-chief and then I teach at Rutgers. So anytime during the day, I could be doing one of those tasks. So my day is kind of various. This um, is that work-work balance. Yeah. So this is my work-work balance. Yeah. So even though I might be in the office for, for example, seven to four, when I go home, I still do some work in the evening time just to kind of get some things done. But usually what happens is I show up at work, check my email, look at my calendar. Sometimes I forget the night before what kind of meetings I have during the day. Usually there's no meetings before 8 a.m. So I'm usually pretty good if I show up before 8 a.m. at the office. And then I'll either go to the meeting or prepare for whatever meeting I need to go to, try to catch up on some emails, answer some emails, and then do whatever little tasks I need to do. So last Thursday, I think I prepared for one of my team meetings that were on Friday. For example, my chapstick study that I'm doing, I tried to look into timing, look into the safety protocols and those sorts of things and talk it through with my boss because then we have to communicate it with the vendor. Did some coachy things. And those are just various, like sometimes it's talking to a committee member, sometimes it's talking to Dr. T and those sorts of things. And how much contact do you usually have with your preceptor? I mean, do you guys touch base every day or? Yeah, so Pfizer Consumer is open office. So he literally sits two little booths next to me, but since it's open office, I can just walk around and talk to him all the time. So I see him every day, I'm in the office. And then we have one-on-one, like more formal one-on-ones weekly where we try to touch base officially about how's it going? How am I doing with career development? Now that it's almost kind of nearing the end of my fellowship, like what am I thinking moving forward? Where am I looking to apply and those sorts of things? Yeah, that's nice. So now, like you mentioned, you're kind of wrapping up the whole fellowship. What would you say is your favorite memory from the fellowship so far? Honestly, number one would be what Pfizer Consumer gave me. They, I would not trade my fellowship. Chapstick. Yes. <laughs> Chastic and emergency. <laughs> we also make Nexium for you listeners out there. Prep H, Centrum, Advil. Wow, wow, wow. We're going to edit Plug. this out. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, what the training that Pfizer Consumer gave me probably is my favorite memory. I don't think I would be as well-rounded as a clinician if I didn't do my fellowship at Pfizer Consumer. And I know that that is a question a lot of candidates have. Like, oh, what if I want to go into oncology? Or what if I, I'm not interested in consumer products? Like, The fellowship is a training program. You're supposed to get the best training possible in one to two years or however long your fellowship is. And I would not have chosen another place besides Pfizer Consumer. So definitely what they gave me. I hope I gave them something back. So (laughs) boss, if you're listening, I hope I gave you something back. 
So do you want to stay in consumer? Is that your hope? Yeah, I would love, you know, I would love to stay. I would love to go elsewhere too. Uh, right now I'm kind of just open to applying everywhere. I'm very mobile. So I'm just going to apply across the country, apply in oncology and non-oncology and consumer and non-consumer. And- if you're listening, Christine is available and willing to move. Yes. If you want to hire her. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'm just going to kind of see, you know, where my best opportunity is. Mm-hmm. And does the Pfizer office in New York, they have clinical development, right? Yeah, yeah, they do. So Pfizer actually has a ton of offices everywhere. So usually they have clinical in multiple random places across the country. Okay. Okay, so outside of the fellowship, outside of pharmacy-related stuff, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do for fun? Dr. Toscani likes to ask me this question. Do you have any time for fun? I was like, wait, but I don't know. This is a good question. You work, work. I tell him, like, Dr. T. Rutgers is my boyfriend. And he's like, no, we need to find you a hobby. Well, I have a dog. He's not with me right now because I'm, you know, like I said, I have four jobs. So it's really hard to take care of him by myself here in Jersey. But usually I do a lot of dog mom things. So take him to the park. We go hiking and take him to PetSmart and those sorts of things. Now work work is my life. So so your dog is home? he's home in Nashville. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. My parents um came up to get him when I started the rotation, and I started kind of getting more involved with Rutgers and RPIF and those sorts of things. And then obviously, like when Major comes along, it's it's so hard to leave him home for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so of course. they take him for the week. Yeah. And what kind of dog do you have? He's a mutt, a hundred percent mutt. Yeah. <laughs> is it a big dog or a small dog? Yeah, he's. I think I would say he's a small, large dog or a large, medium dog. He's kind of in that in-between. He's like 55 okay. pounds. Yeah. Medium, medium. Okay, medium. <laughs> medium. Yeah. He sounds meaty. Um, I feel like you already gave advice for yeah. candidates, so we'll move past that to my favorite part. Tell us your embarrassing story. Oh <laughs> and I hope you prepared. So I have like yeah, way too, exciting. yeah, so I have way too many embarrassing stories, but maybe one that's probably really funny and most relevant to um, us millennials these days a guy texted me once to ask hey do you want to go to like the salsa dancing thing on friday night i took a screenshot sent it to my friend to be like oh my god look at what this guy did but like i did like <laughs> dot 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 <laughs> sent it to him no <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> oh my gosh and then i didn't realize it until maybe like 10 to 15 minutes later because i was like why is my friend not responding so he's probably waiting and then like, i look back at it and he hadn't responded, thank God. And I said, oh, haha, I just took a screenshot to remind myself that I had that I had plans with you this Friday. <laughs> Good save. Oh, my gosh. Thank God you just wrote dot, dot, dot. I literally would have been like, yeah. what a loser. <laughs> like... Hey, that's wow, that's a really good one. Me that's a really say, good I've, never, I've, never, I've never seen him since, but um, <laughs> it's quite embarrassing. I actually have a very similar story. I have these two friends, <laughs> and one time I had told one of them on the phone something that the other had been like, oh, don't tell so-and-so. Like, this is a secret. So then I told the other on the phone, and then I was like, oh, shoot, I should tell her that's a secret. So I texted her, and I was like, well, I'll call them... <laughs> Sally and Martha, so to protect their privacy. So Sally is the one that told me the secret, and then I shared it with Martha. And then I texted Martha, and I was like, don't tell Sally I told you that. But I did not text Martha. I texted Sally. And she was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, my other text didn't send. Here's the secret. I had to make something up, but that was terrible. That was really terrible. <laughs> okay, so now everyone who's listening, and Christine and myself, we will never tell you yeah. a secret. Oh, um, hmm. I thought I thought you were going to say double check who you're texting. Now. <laughs> oh, no, no, yeah, no, now we can't tell you secrets. <laughs> no, no, please come on. Tell us all your secrets. <laughs> we promise to edit it out. <laughs> 
Well, Christine, thank you so much for coming on. This yes. has really been a delight. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for this having awesome. me. This is so great. Yeah. And so you're spreading RPIF across the world. You know, I'm always about that. <laughs> We're working on it. Yeah. Everyone, no, we appreciate having you on. Also, you're, you're like famous to us. Yeah. You're like famous to the RPIF. So. At least I'm famous to some people. <laughs> this is our first celebrity guest yeah. until we get that uh, pharmacist <laughs> senator from Georgia or oh, whatever. Sure. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, everyone. Rate, review, subscribe.